All right. So uh, thank you guys uh, for uh, listening to, to my show here, Card Thoughts with David. I've got a special interview for you today. Uh, it's with Doug uh, Howard, and uh, he is the uh, founder and, uh, and uh, CEO of Multidimensional Economic Evaluations, uh, me for short. And, um, you know, just uh, so happy to have him on the show. And, uh, Doug, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, and we'll, uh, we'll get going. Well, hi, David, and thank you for having me on your show. I've listened to your, your uh, podcast many times, and I've really enjoyed it, so I thank you for bringing me on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, thank you for being a part of the show. It's just uh, it's a small show, but I'm hoping to do big things with it. So, you know, I'm always glad to have somebody willing to uh, sit down and do an interview, especially somebody, um, you know, in your field with what you do. Because I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, you know, that's where those aha moments, where those those ideas that come about spark those changes in the industry. And, um, and that's why I'm trying to help uh you know, pass along and share as I'm learning these things as well. So, um, so yeah, just uh, if you don't mind, just go into, uh, you know, tell me some about, you know, how you got started with this idea and how it came to be. Uh, sure. Well, uh, the, the idea came forth on a, um, a day that I was out shopping for a washing machine with my wife. I noticed my wife um, was looking at one machine. She says, you know, we, we need to have more cycles that we have at home. I go, oh, cycles, okay. She says, and I'd also like to have a larger capacity than we have at home right now. I go, oh, that's interesting. And she says, I'd like to have a, a front loader instead of a top loader because Cousin Carlos tells us we, that uses less water. And then she says, some of these, these washing machines come with pedestals, and I like a pedestal so I don't have to bend over. And then we were looking down, up and down the line, and I said, well, what about the next one up the line? She says, well, I like that one, but it's too expensive. We can't afford it. And what I realized she was doing was that she was balancing or juggling four and five features at a time, uh, the capacity, the cycles, the type of uh, door that it had, front or top, the whether or not it had a pedestal and several other things against the price, and she was making a decision on that. And so I wondered... To myself, I wonder if I do that, and I realized that I did, and I, then I went on to say, I wonder if everybody does that. And it turns out that the punchline to that uh, question is that everybody does that, and they do it in a way in which they self-organize and in a way in which we can describe visually and mathematically. And that formed the basis of this new field that I call multidimensional economics, or me. And then we formed a company around it, which we call Multidimensional Economic Evaluators, which is also me. So I always told my kids I'd never name a company after me, but I never said I wouldn't name it me. So we're we're me. <laughs> so if you ask anybody who what, what, you know at the company who they work for, they say they work for me, and that's uh, it's true. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point because a lot of people. A lot of people do that. I, I spent uh, many years in, in working in retail uh, before um, I started working in IT and then started trying to go out on my own as an entrepreneur. And one thing I noticed that people would come in and they would buy things based on, you know, features like that. They would be like, oh, well, you know, this one's this color or it has this energy efficiency or it has, you know, like you said, the top loader versus the front loader, pedestal, the you know, all these different little 
minutia things that most companies really wouldn't think of. They're just like, you know, it's, it's kind of like Henry Ford. You know, you can buy whatever color Ford Model T you want as long as it's black, you know. So, uh, so you know, and a yeah. lot of people, it's all about features now. Yeah, well, now that that's what we get into. Um, th- this gets into another interesting revelation that I had. Um, not not too long after my wife made made those uh, observations to me, which got me to thinking about you know what what we could prove. I found myself running down a uh, a path in a forest one day, and I came around a corner pretty quickly, and I came across a, an owner and uh, of, of a dog and a dog. And I, I shouted out that I was behind them. They they separated, and they went on either side of the trail, and I thought I was fine. And I was for a second until the leash between them became taut, and I tripped over the leash and found myself planted firmly in the dirt um, on the trail. And it got me to thinking about the, the interesting thing about tug-of-war. And, and tug-of-war turns out to be a key concept in multidimensional economics in that the game of tug of war has two sides. There's, you know, in this, the case on the trail, there was the dog and the person, and so they're they're opposing teams. There's, you know, the, the dog team and the person team, and they're they're linked very obviously by the the rope. And then what's very important is that they're they're both in in a non-negative state. There's no such thing as a negative. Geography, and so to, there was a center line between them. But if you call that center line zero, the dog and the person were both on in in positive spaces. And so what we do is we separate these two positive spaces into value, which relates to the features that are of a product. So the so for example, if you're looking at a color TV set, the a flat screen TV, the bigger it is, and the more lines of resolution that it has, the more you're willing to pay for it. But then there's a the demand um, relationship, too, which is on the other side of the line, which is to say that the more expensive it is, there are fewer $10,000 sets being sold than there are uh, $1,000 sets, and then there are more $500 sets being sold than $1,000 sets. And it turns out that on both sides of this dividing line, again, like the, the, the dividing line in tug of value on one side and demand on the other, it turns out on both sides that people, buyers, self-organized in a way in which we can describe that mathematically. And, and that turns out to be extremely useful for for all kinds of markets. So we've, we've used this to prove that the phenomenon works from everything from ground beef to train travel to spaceships. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I think a lot of people can relate to. And that's a, something that a lot of people... Uh, you know, like as well is being able to break something down to a level where it's so simple. I mean, who doesn't know what tug of war is? At least if they've never played it, they at least understand it on a con- conceptual level. You know, they might have seen it on TV or in a movie or something. They understand it's two people uh, or two groups of people on one side of a rope or another that um, you know that are trying to pull the opposing side over the line to that that zero state where they eventually win. So, um, so yeah, and that's that's super important as well because people find it hard. You know, you start throwing mathematics at them, and a lot of people just switch off. You know, just like, uh, yeah, numbers, I don't do that. <laughs> but when you can bring it down to something simple like that, so that's a really cool idea and concept and way to explain it. So yeah, because yeah, it's I, that's really fascinating. <laughs> 
Well, the other thing that comes out of it, too, that's, that's kind of becomes obvious graphically without having to get into the math is, is that the, um, the limits of the demand for a product, say, again, like the, um, the, the limits for a TV set, limits of how many people can buy, say, a, a $10,000 set versus a $1,000 set versus a $500 set and so on. Those limits tend to form a boundary that we can also describe. It looks like a, a ragged edge to a coastline. And because that, that there's an, an edge to the market, that tells, we can actually use that to describe how it is that the the revenue changes in the market relative to how much people buy the how many people buy of the very expensive product versus how many they buy of the relatively cheap product. And that tells you where the revenue, the vast bulk of the revenue would lie in the market. Is it at, towards the top of the market, the high priced elements? Or is it toward the low end part of the market where the, the things are quite a bit cheaper? And this kind of analysis becomes useful in everything from figuring out what you're going to build to figuring out how you're going to tax people in a, in a government, for example. It Absolutely. turns out that yeah. in, um, in 2014, just for example about how this works with taxes, the uh, state of Colorado and the state of Washington both legalized recreational marijuana. And even though Washington state has one-third more people than Colorado does, and even though Washington State had a higher tax on marijuana than Colorado does, had, Colorado made three times the revenue in recreational marijuana tax than Washington State. Turns out that Colorado's tax was 29%, and Washington State's was over 100. And what they didn't understand, but what they could understand if they had done the analysis, is that the demand curve for marijuana, the um, if you actually plotted all the the points where people were buying wholesale marijuana, you know, basically pounds of marijuana. It turns out that the there was more money at the bottom end of the market than there was at the top end of the market, which meant that the curve was very responsive to changes in price. And so when Washington State put 100% tax plus on the marijuana, it drove most of the marijuana revenue back underground. And so Colorado made more money in 2014 from recreational marijuana than Washington State did. But Washington State, finally realizing the error of their ways, a year after they did it, they dropped their tax rate to about a third of what it was, and then they ended up with ten times the revenue two years later. So it becomes – all this analysis becomes very useful in a variety of, of settings, and that's what we're trying to get at. It all comes back down to those very simple precepts that we're saying is that it all comes back to tug of war. Right, right. Yeah, I know uh, there was also a lot of uh, Girl Scout troops that also did very well <laughs> selling cookies. I remember reading those stories in Colorado where they were setting up outside the dispensaries, which was a brilliant marketing <laughs> move on their part. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great, yeah. I actually went to my. I'm living, I'm out here in California, and I, uh, I, uh, I have we have a Girl Scout troop that likes to set up near our local grocery store. And we, after I heard about that, I said, "Hey, here's where you need to go set up outside of right. You need to go set up outside one of these clinics." And and they're starting to do that down here too. So that's pretty funny. Oh wow. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've got family. Uh, my my in-laws uh, live in in San Jose. My uh, my father-in-law actually works for Lockheed Martin uh, so out there. So, um, you know, you know, we get, they tell us all the stories and stuff that goes on over there as oh. far as you know with the marijuana and stuff. <laughs> I, I used to work um, for Lockheed Martin for over thirty years. So which part of Lockheed Martin does your uh, does your relative work for? Um, he. I know he did something with the recent satellite project, you know, the the, the laser satellite uh, mapping uh, detection system. So I don't know what department that was, something with an aerospace, but uh, I don't know specifically because he can't, you know, obviously tell me, like, everything he does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's probably up in Sunnyvale, up in the Bay Area, I'm guessing, then, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, okay. So yeah, he uh he he's done a lot and that was the first project I had actually heard about that he worked on, you know, when they announced it, you know, publicly and everything. Uh my my mother in law sent me the uh the link to the videos and all that where they, they were talking and so that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, for for your listeners yeah. who want to say, Well what's the price? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh oh go ahead, yeah, sorry. Uh, for your listeners that might ask, well, what's, what are some practical applications of this, Doug? Well, I, if, I can give you two that right off the top of my head. One was that we decided we wanted to see if this, this system would work for agriculture, and we uh, we went off to our local supermarket, and we surveyed a whole bunch of prices for ground beef, you know, packages from a half pound to over five pounds in various, degra- various grades of leanness. And then we went off to beefretail.org where they sell the 100-pound packages. And what we discovered was that if you plotted all those points, they all kind of lined up very neatly along a a, um, a surface, which is to say that people are willing to pay more for the per pound for the smaller package sizes, so they're willing to pay more for a small package per pound than the larger ones. And they're also willing to pay more for the leanness of a project a product and it turned out that there was one product that the wholesalers were wholesalers were selling that was underpriced by 34 cents a pound now that doesn't sound like much except they were there were something in the order of 290 million pounds that were underpriced at that figure which is about a hundred million dollar error and that's some that's an analysis we picked up in a couple of days using our tool oh wow yeah that's uh that's yeah. a lot of uh I know. Uh, I know a lot of places. You know, a hundred million dollars is a huge, huge mishap for sure. Um, I actually recently heard of uh, one of my coworkers uh, that I work with. Uh, his father was going to a local grocery store, Harris Teeter, and they had mispriced their ribs. Um, they were supposed to be like thirty or forty dollars, and they had priced them at like ten dollars. So he literally oh bought every every rack of ribs that they had there at the grocery store, and then started you know, <laughs> giving them out to people in the in the neighborhood, you know, because he was like, yeah, they they don't realize they've made this mistake yet. So yeah, definitely uh, pricing is important and making sure you have your prices accurate to your area, um, sure, or something yeah. like that could happen because people see a deal like that and they're going to jump all over it because a lot of people, you know, the smaller packages, you know, they. You know, not a lot of people cook a lot anymore. Most people go out to eat more often uh, now, it, it seems like. So, you know, when they're at home, they don't want to waste food because food's expensive. <laughs> so, you know, they look for those those deals or those bargains. So, you know, 34 cents, you oh, might yeah. be all over that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a big deal. And then yeah. another thing that we did was um, we have a client. In fact, I'm going to go see him again this week that uh, wanted us to see if 
Out here in the West, the big one of the big deals that we have is we have a lot of forest fires, as you may know. And this client uh, wanted to bring in a Russian firefighting aircraft to fight fires in the western United States for the United States Forest Service. And so he came to us and wanted to see if this Russian vehicle would be a good deal for the Forest Service. And so we did some analysis, and we proved that the Russian vehicle was worth uh, quite a bit of money per, per year. And if the amount of money that it was worth, based on what it so that's a value function, which we're talking about should be one side of the game of tug-of-war. Then on the other side of the tug-of-war, there's a, there's a function that says, well, how many might I be able to afford? And we discovered that the Forest Service could only afford a few at the full price. But if the, if our client was willing to drop the price, the Forest Service could afford more and our client might be able to make more money. And so our client dropped their price and they gave the Forest Service this huge deal and the, both the Forest Service and our client made out because they're going to both make more money. And so what happened after all of this was that the analysis that we did went from to our client to the United States Senate that passed it on to the U.S. Department of State, passed it back to officials from the Airbus aerospace company in, in Europe and Bereev, which is the Russian design company that came up with the aircraft, and Bereev basically licensed Airbus to build the firefighting aircraft for our client who's going to license it to the Air Force, to the United States Forest Service. So that took quite a few years for that to come about, but that's uh, that's another success story that we have that we like to tout. So pretty excited about that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's what it's all about is just figuring out those those details, those features, uh, you know, the the tug of war, what can I give, what can I take to to make all of that work. So that's you know, just fascinating, you know, to just to be able to work with that and, and come up with those solutions that other people might not see, you know, because a lot of people, um, you know, they just, you know, you know, from a business standpoint, it's it's more about, like, cost and budget, you know, and, and to actually think about, like, okay, maybe I need to work with this person. Maybe we can make this work so I can buy more, you know, like you were describing and uh, get more value out of it and make more money for both parties at the end of the day, which is, you know, a win-win. You can't beat that. Who who doesn't like more money? <laughs> um, well, yeah, what's interesting yeah. about this, David, is that, I mean, the when you look at the value side, it, again, suppose you're building an electric car. There's more value in an electric car that's got 300 horsepower than there is for one that's got 100 horsepower, right? And there's more value in an electric car that goes 300 miles on a charge rather than 100 miles. But it also costs more money to make cars that do that. And so what we want to do is we want to compare the, ad, the, the added cost to provide those features to the added value of those features. One, the added cost affects the producer. The value comes in from what the consumers are, have demonstrated they're willing to pay. And then as you change the value, then on the other side of this game of tug of war, the demand goes up and down depending if you're adding value or making something less expensive. And at the same time, that's happening um, on the one, the value is going up and down on one side, the, the demand goes up and down in concert with it because they, those things are linked in a uh, very unique system that multidimensional economics describes to people. 
So it um, it reveals things that you can't see without it, and and that's that's where we that's where our value to our clients comes in is that lets you see things you can't see unless you model it in this kind of framework. Absolutely. Otherwise, you're guessing. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, actually, you know, I, like I said uh, before we started the interview, um, I'd actually heard your your previous interview uh, with Katarina, and um, you know, I'd heard the part about your story about Jon Snow, uh, which um, you know, I oh, yeah. wondered if you'd share that because that kind of I think I feel like that's kind of like where we're headed here, and uh, it was a fascinating story. I'm sure my listeners would really enjoy that. Oh, okay, yeah. Thanks for bringing that one up. I appreciate that, David. So. Your listeners want to know about Jon Snow. I can tell you, first of all, this, we're not talking the Jon Snow that's in Game of Thrones, okay? That's not this, that, the same Jon Snow. No, we're talking about Jon Snow, the, the, the English physician who lived in, in uh, Soho, which is the district of London, in the 1800s. And so Dr. Snow had a, a, had a theory uh, back in the 1800s. A lot of people thought that diseases were spread by solely by bad air. And Dr. Snow suspected that there were other methods by which diseases could spread. And so in, the, in his, in his uh, time there at, uh, in Soho, there, there came a great cholera epidemic. And so what he decided to do was he, he, he took a map of Soho, Again, this district in London, just west of, just east of Mayfair and uh, just north of downtown. And he started to make a little plot that showed where everybody had died in Soho. So he would put a little black dot on a map to show where somebody died. And if two people died there, he'd make two little black dots. And if three people died, there are more black dots. And so he started to canvas the entire neighborhoods going up and down block by block all the way down as far south as he could, and west and east and north. And what he discovered was that there was a a locus of these dots. There was a focal point, a center point, in which there were more dots than any other place. And it turned out that these dots all centered on a place then known as the Broad Street Pump. This is back in the era before everybody had running water at their houses. And so people in cities used to go to local pumps from local wells to draw their water. And the Broad Street Pump was renowned for having cool cool water, and it was it was a, a very popular well. But it turns out that there were a lot of deaths around this, this uh, well. And so what they did was Dr. Snow noticed there had been a bunch of deaths there, so he got the local authorities to cap the well off. And what they discovered after they capped the well off was that the well had been contaminated by what amounted to a septic tank, uh, just the place where people put their wet nappies, as they say in Great Britain, uh, just above the well, and the stuff that's managed to seep its way into the well and made people sick. Um, the, the, the other punchline to this is that people got better once they shut the well off, but then after they did all the hard work of figuring out what made the water contaminated in the first place, they didn't want to admit that that was the source of the contamination, so they turned the well back on. Some people never learn. So, um, but yes, that was, and Dr. Snow's discovery was the, gave rise to the find, founding of the medical discipline known as epidemiology. And so my work is 
is has given rise to the field of what we call multi-dimensional economics, the, the economics of, dimen- of many dimensions. And so in my book that I'll have coming out sometime next year, uh, every every single market that we look at, we can portray in four dimensions with other features working working with and uh, and against those the, those particular dimensions. And I just gave a, gave a speech last month in Brazil entitled a 7D, a seven-dimension trade, where I took two related markets and showed how you could use seven dimensions to figure out what was going on at the same time. So there's basically no limit to how many dimensions you want to look at if, if you have enough time and wherewithal, if you can gather the, the appropriate data. So you just keep building on to adding each dimension or each angle or viewpoint to look at it based on what data you need to extrapolate from these two or three or four markets. Yeah, right. Okay. So, for example, uh, it, it, it works out that every time you you start with one market, you need four dimensions. And because price is common to all of them, you all markets, you just simply keep adding three dimensions every time you want to look at a market. So the U.S. government, for example, they want to, they want to improve infrastructure, which is a great idea. So they might want to look at um, refurbishing bridges, for example, or refurbishing sewer lines or refurbishing um, sections of freeway. Well, all those things could be related, and so you can perform trades between all three of those to figure out what it is that you're going to work on at a particular time, and and that would be give you insight as to where you put you should put your money. And that's that's one of the one of the uses for that. So that that can that can certainly help out in, in terms of trying to break a a complicated problem down into something you can actually work with. In a more practical sense, what this does is, you know, if you were say a buyer for a company and you wanted to figure out if you bought a lot of monitors, for example, or flat screen TVs for your company, suppose you're your company just had a need for a lot of flat screen TVs. This could help you figure out what the best deal is based on the lines of resolution and say the the, the size of it. And this could help you figure out if you've got the, the best deal possible for you. And if you're buying from one supplier and the supplier turns out to be a bad deal and, and which is to say they're charging you too much, you could take this information to the supplier and say, look, our analysis suggests that you're overpriced. There may be something else at play. Maybe we you could explain that to us, but in the case that you can't, can you please drop your price? So that becomes a powerful tool to figure out what you know what you want to buy, and it works from everything from TVs to toilet paper to tires. I mean, it, again, we haven't found a market for which it doesn't work. So you can just keep driving this into any market that you want. You know, you you, you need some instruction because I mean, it's taken us a few years to figure out all the intricacies of this, but. Basic principles you already understand. Everybody understands them because everybody's building the markets together. You, we, all of us vote for what the value of a product is based on its features, and then we respond. That's us, the, the the value side of the tug of war, and then all of us on the other side, the demand side, we all respond to changes in price based on how many we buy. That we change our quantities based on the on the changes in price. Sometimes this can run run up. Yeah. So uh, that, oh, that's, is that making sense? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was just going to add, you know, I mean, this is very valuable information for an entrepreneur because, you know, I mean, you're starting your own business. You know, you've got to buy all of these things. You've got all these things on your mind. And if you can just look at it from an analytical point, you just take this data and extrapolate it all out. Because a lot of people spend a lot more money on stuff than they should or than they need to because they just are like, I don't have time to think about all this. You know, I'm just going to go buy this one because it's on sale or you know, even though it might be more expensive than another model they might be able to find. You know, or sure, exactly. That they might be able to find that helps them or that would be more useful even um, at a better price point, you know, because they don't right. do that research. They're just like, I've got to go out and get a TV for my office. I've got to go get toilet paper for the bathroom. I just need to go to the store and just buy these. <laughs> uh, right. And then for big ticket items that, that you're selling, for example, this uh, – we actually started the analysis on, or actually completed the analysis for a business jet that this, the 18th employee of, of Microsoft, a guy named Vern Rayburn, decided to build a business jet in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, called the Eclipse 500. And he got he got a whole bunch of people in best, including his old boss, Bill Gates. And he thought it'd be really swell to build this jet that, could carry six people, go over 400 miles an hour, had a fantastic range. He thought it'd be great to build this jet and sell it for less than a million bucks. The The problem was that our analysis suggested that the price that he was selling it for was about a third of what it was worth. And so long story short, he got lots of orders, just like he would get if you if you were to sell your attempt to sell your house for one-third of what it was worth. You wouldn't have any problem getting lots of orders, you know, lots of bids, right? Well, he, he got lots of orders. Problem was that the cost of the plane was higher than the price he was selling it for, and he ended up losing a billion bucks. And what happened later was that the company reformed and made virtually the same jet and is, is selling. It's got a different name. It's not called the Eclipse 550, but the Eclipse 550 is selling for virtually the, the identical price that we suggested it should have sold for ten years ago. So. So we were vindicated on that, too. That's another example of how our analysis could have been used to save somebody a bunch of dough, but they, you know, they didn't know what they were doing at the time. So, so yeah. It, um, what's that? Oh, yeah, I was, that could be a problem, you know, because a lot of people, they just don't think of those things. They're just like, you know, I'm going to build this product. I already had the idea. I'm just going to go ahead and, you know. They don't think about like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I should be raising the price on this because I'm putting a lot into this a lot more because, uh, you know, my mom actually run a, a craft business where she would make handmade items. And, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that she actually went to somebody that, that uh, you know, talked about business and they're like, well, whatever it is that you think you would charge for it or the supplies you have, take it and mark it up like 10 times that at least, you know, because it's a handmade item. and you know, she benefited from that a lot because otherwise my mom, she's one of those, like, people that'd be like, yeah, honey, you just go ahead and take it. You know, it's okay. You know, I know you only got Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> right. So, oh, know, yeah. That was, that was very helpful for her to go out and ran a business for that reason because, you know, otherwise she, you know, she, she bought all of her Christmas gifts growing up. She bought, you know, a lot of stuff for the house and things like that. She just worked out of the home. And, you know, she had that person that was like, you know, this is what you should be charging. And uh, she took that advice, and it really helped her, you know, as far as her business was concerned. So I definitely understand the value in, in what you just described there because I've seen the real-world application of it. 
Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, you you have to definitely take into take into account everything that is going to help you make some more make more money. I mean, this is designed to help avoid business failure. Stuff that, on the order of seventy to ninety percent of all new business ventures fail, and they fail because. In case your mom, she would have been underpriced. In the case of that that business aircraft, that guy was underpriced. Right. The beef, the guy was underpriced. Now, there's other cases too. Uh, there's a uh, there's a house in Alpine, New Jersey, entitled that's called Stone Mansion, which is which is originally going to be on the market, which originally was on the market, I should say, for sixty nine million dollars. You know, it's a fabulous house. But eight years later, the builders were still holding the property. And so they dropped the price $29 bucks. And last I looked, they were still holding the bag on that. And so what they they hadn't figured out was what the property was worth. And a $69 million house, well, that might sell here in Southern California where the real estate values are really expensive if it was in the right part of town. But, you know, in New Jersey, there, there may not be an area in New Jersey where that can have that, you know, basically satisfies all the requirements to have a $69 million house. And so this kind of tool would prevent you from trying to oversell something. Same thing happened in the, uh, there's a very large building. I think it's the largest building in Western Europe, or at least it was. It was it's entitled the Shard in London, and it's a very tall office building slash apartment uh, complex or flat complex as they would say in the UK and it's very very nice it's very well appointed but it's not in the absolute best part of town now it's not in the bad part of town it's just not in the absolute best part of town and so last I looked five years after the building was completed those those um, the builders were still holding five no I'm sorry um, 20 flats worth 50 million pounds apiece so they were holding a billion dollars in inventory because they didn't understand their market either because they would market it up to the high side. So there's just a variety of ways in which you can mess up on what you're trying to offer the public if you don't do all the analytics that it takes to figure out the proper spot to be in the market. Right, yeah, because that's where the whole multidimensional thing comes in. You've got to look at every aspect, every angle, <laughs> every uh you know, every possible thing because, you know, in London, I mean, there are very stark contrasts um, between different areas, the different uh, neighborhoods, towns, and all of that. So, you know, it's almost like going to a different place. I know I walked through the theater district, and then I ended up in Chinatown, and I was just like, okay, that that was kind of a quick transition. <laughs> um, you know, oh, yeah. There and, and so, you know, if you don't build in the right place, you know, people might not go there, like you said, because – you know, they're, they'd rather be living a little bit further uptown in a different direction, um, you know, just because there's so many different cultural changes, so many different, um, you know, whether you're on the, the east or the west side of the Thames, things like that, you know, that all makes a difference right. for people on where they want to live. Yeah, there's the west side of the town fetches more, and if you're, you know, you're above the river, it's it's considered, you know, a better part of town, and, and the Shard was, you know, and not the absolute best part of town, and that was part of the problem with them. They weren't in the financial district either, so that if they wanted to tout themselves as a financial entity, which they were, they'd be better to be in the financial district than they weren't. So, right. So yeah, that's uh, that's been part of the problem that some of those people have.
So, so I hope this has been illuminating for you, David. I know that most of your 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 podcasts run somewhere between nine and and forty minutes. We're coming up close to forty minutes. Is this about the where you like to stop, jump off, or do you want to keep going, or what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as that goes, I mean, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I usually try and keep it about forty minutes uh, thereabouts. Uh, but you know, before we go, um, you know, if you don't mind, uh, you know, just let everybody know how you know to get in touch with your business if they're interested in in doing business with you or learning more. Or you know, I know the book won't be out till next year, but you know, uh, let people know about the book, the title, if you know, if you have all that together yet. And because uh, I'm definitely gonna be picking it up. Uh, Sure. Like I said, I watched the interview, so yeah, I'm definitely very interested in learning more about what you guys do for sure. Okay, great. Well, the the website is uh, com. So just spell it out. It's m e e v a l u a t o r s dot com. Meevaluators dot com. And there's a place there where you can hit, uh, there's an info button where you can ask for information. Uh, again, my name is Doug. Last name is Howarth, H-O-W-A-R-T-H. The book I'll have out next year is entitled Breaking the Law of Supply and Demand, because we have the law of value demand. And um should be in bookstores or on Amazon or both sometime next year. That's the uh, That's the target. And we're going to have a class on this at uh, at UCLA Extension. Those of you who can get into UCLA Extension, we're going to have a seminar on this on March 7th at 6.30 Pacific time in March 7th, uh, 2019, out of UCLA Extension. And the title of that class is Multidimensional Economics, or me, me and you. And so uh, we'll give a three-and-a-half-hour intro to what it is multidimensional economics is and how you live in this world and how you can use this type of analysis to affect changes in your own business. So we're going to have we're going to do that then, and we're pretty excited about it. We just had our first class from UCLA about how we're, we should be UCLA instructors just uh, Saturday, so we're we're pretty excited about that. So I hope that's um, that helps you out there. It helps us out. I very much appreciate David the opportunity to be on your show again. I've listened to quite a few of your your car thoughts, and I know you've gone from nothing to several thousand listeners in a uh, short amount of time. I need to pick your brains. I need to. I'm thinking of coming up with a, <laughs> a podcast. I I don't know what you did to get that many listeners in a hurry, but that, that's impressive. What did you do to do that? Uh, well, um, basically, um, you know, I didn't really start advertising right away. I didn't even tell uh-huh. my parents. I didn't tell my wife even that I was doing a podcast right away. I just started wow. doing it just to see, just <laughs> to kind of see if if it'd be something I would stick with, if I'd be committed to it. You know, I didn't want to get out there and be mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, I put out all this advertising, put out all this this stuff, and then be like, after two months, be like. You know what? I'm just not into it. <laughs> so, so, um, so I started doing the show. Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Tariq, um, messages me on Facebook and says, "Hey, dude, I started listening to a podcast. It sounds just like you." <laughs> so he actually found my podcast just by accident, um, and then got very upset at me about not telling him that I started a podcast. 
<laughs> so, so that was fun. Um, and, uh, oh, and yeah, and then I started like realizing, okay, I need to start advertising and I made a website. I made all these social media accounts, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all this stuff for, for my social media and started advertising. And I was like, you know what? I need to, I've put all this work and weeks and weeks of work into building all of the social media to advertise my show. And, you know, why just do it for my podcast? Why not open this up to other people? So as I started telling people about um, what I was doing, I formed this company called Dual Podcasts. And uh, basically, it's just an advertising company where people can just put their podcast out there, have a little bio, a synopsis. That way, people can discover it kind of like a Zagat, but for podcasts in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, as a result of actually talking about that business, within the course of six days, my listenership doubled. Um, really? Wow. From what? Ridiculous, to what? Uh, uh, growth. And, you know, and then, of course, I'm try- I've am trying. i got other people that are working on that as well to, um, to uh, you know, add their sites as or add their podcasts to my site as well, you know. So as it grows, you know, I'm hoping that that just keeps it exponentially growing for not just me but for everybody. Because obviously yeah, there's a great. lot of new people making podcasts uh, like yourself, you know, and, you know, it's kind of hard to break out there and do all that advertising and keep up with that. Whereas I just, I'm trying to like, here you go, you know, I'm going to, you just create your your content, how you want it to look. I'll throw it out on my site. I'll throw it out on my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, and just start advertising it for you and just add it in to what I'm already doing for myself. Wow, that's great. So, well, congratulations. Yeah, so, how many how many listeners are you up to right now? Uh, right now, um, I'm at fifteen hundred. I think as of uh, when I checked uh, this morning. So, wow, that's great. But yeah, you, you only started about seventy episodes ago, which and you're doing it virtually every day, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a daily a daily show. So I'm just about at episode ninety. So three months. Wow. Um, and you know, I went from from the first two months having 600 listens, you know, as far as my total episodes, like I said, over doubling that in the course of yeah. just the last week. So, um, so a lot of good things there. And I've been, you know, I, I've been excited because a lot of people, first of all, they're like, well, why are you doing this? And I'm like, you know, I spent all this time working on this. I just want to help other people too, because it's a lot of work, <laughs> you know, and I've sure, got all this sure. infrastructure built. So sure. you know, that's uh it makes it easy. I've just got to add your information to the site and everything already exists. I've just got to put you on there, you know. Sweet. So, so, yeah, very very fun stuff. I've been enjoying it. A lot of people I'm trying to work with and get everything put together. So, you know, it's, it's – it's, I enjoy doing stuff like that So in the background work. So. <laughs> well, excellent. Good on you. I, I'm, you know, congratulations. That's, that's excellent success in a short amount of time. So that's good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, so, um, you know, again, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it, and I'm going to have to send uh, Katerina a message as well, thanking her, you know, for, for setting this all up for us, and Logan, of course, who uh, kind of brokered all this. So so thank you, and like I said, I'm stoked to have, on, have you on the show. I think it's perfect. All of the examples that you gave I think are perfect. They can be applied at any level of business, and that's where I'm trying to help people is, you know, finding out those tips, tricks, secrets that you just wouldn't know if you're starting out or, or you know, even a, starting a mid, mid-sized business. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Okay. Well, um, so uh, if that's it, then I guess I'll sign off. All right. Well, yeah, absolutely. You have a great rest of your day, and thank you for being a part of the show. All right. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Uh Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. David here from Car Thoughts with David, and I just wanted to share some information with you. You guys have heard me talk about finding your way, finding your path, and starting your journey. Well, if you have decided that you want to start your own podcast, you might be thinking, well, David, that's great, but what do I do? How do I do this? You know, what works? What doesn't work, right? Well, I wrote a book because you can go back and find my episodes where I talk about all this stuff and listen to them. And that's all well and good, but sometimes it's easier just to have it in print where you can just see it, right? So I wrote the book called Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Shared. You can pick it up on Amazon on Kindle for 99 cents, less than a dollar. What? That's crazy, right? Less than a dollar, you can pick it up on Kindle. If you like to have a print book in your hands and you just like the way it feels, and trust me, I'm looking at this book right now, it's really well printed. I love Kindle Publishing. You can pick it up for $5.50. So you can have a physical copy where you can take notes, where you can you know, keep stuff for quick reference while you're working on creating that awesome epic podcast that I know you're capable of creating. So... By all means, if you're looking for ways, you're looking for advice, Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Share is the book for you. Thank you guys, and I could not do any of this without your support, so when I say thank you, I mean it. Thank you.